If you have your Bibles, go ahead, grab those, and you can turn to Matthew 28. If you're on a device, you can go to the ESV version. If you don't have a Bible, that's totally fine. Hopefully you'll be able to follow along with us. That's always this thing, if, if, you, if you're in pastor circles, and I am in those circles, um, it's always the thing where guys are talking, leading up to Easter, and it's always, man, I don't know what to, pre- I, I don't know what to preach. It's Easter. I feel like I'm preaching the same thing every single year, to which I always reply, you are. Like, we are. We are preaching uh, the same thing every year. And what's great about that is that we need to hear that, that same thing. We need to hear it more than once a year. Um, and the story of Easter is God sending his son and saying, I love you. So this is a message that we need to hear because just like from friends and from family, we need to be told that we're loved. We need to be reminded that there is somebody who cares deeply and desperately for us. And that's really the story of what we're going to be looking into this morning. It's really what we, we preach here every week. So this is just an extension of everything we say 52 Sundays out of the year, which is that out of his great love for us, God sent his son to die so that we might have peace with God. And so that's really the centralized message of what we're going to be doing this morning. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, that we can do in our lives with any message that we hear, with any, any sense of truth or any sense of information that we get, is that we can either react or we can respond to a thing, right? And when we say react, this is what I mean when I say react, is I mean taking action back at someone or something. That's how I, not me, some, some place I read this, which is really a great resource to lay out to you guys right now. Some place I read this. Um, taking action back at someone or something. Or we can respond to a thing. This is what response is, how we might define it, is answering back to someone or something, usually in words. Now, I'm, I got real fancy here because these definitions are based on, on the Latin meanings of these two words. And if you know me, you know I'm not very, you know, so much a Latin word kind of a guy, but I thought it's Easter, I got to step up my game here a little bit. But reacting, when we react, right? Reacting is when without time to think or process, we just act on our impulse. We act on whatever our first impulse is to situations. So... You know, if a car stops right in front of us, slams on the brakes, we slam on, on our brakes, right? We react. If we, if we slip on some ice, which I do only 10 or 12 times every winter, um, we tense our bodies up and we, we brace for a fall. We, we react. Here's a better example, right? Um, when I reach over with my fork into my wife's plate of food, <laughs> she reacts. She reacts, right? I have no idea why marriage is one flesh, and to me, it's, it's about one food. One food and one flesh. Um, but that's how she reacts to that aggressive move right into her plate. Responding, on the other hand, though, is when we pause, we become more deliberate in our thinking. We, we get our emotions in check, and we, then we let that be the thing that guides the actions that we'll take. Responses produce much more desirable outcomes to those uh, times in which we react. And that's, that was just, some, again, some scientific report that I read on the internet. 
in case you want to know where I get my facts. If you turn to Matthew 28, and go ahead and turn in your Bibles there, Matthew 28, we're going to read about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and specifically the story, a really short story, about some soldiers who were guarding the tomb of Jesus and then two women who both happen to be named Mary here as they encounter the empty tomb. And we're going to see reactions and we're going to be, see responses. And they're, they're both reactions and they're both responses that are super noteworthy. And they're noteworthy just like our responses and our reactions are when we are faced, when we're confronted, when we like encounter the resurrection. And you know what the thing is? Is like every day, you probably don't realize this, but every day you're encountered with the truth of the risen Lord, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because every day there is a Christ who has been raised and is alive, and there are implications for us because of that. Just like there are implications for the, the truth that exists in your life when you wake up in the morning, whatever that is. And you are responding and reacting to what you are surrounded with that encompasses the truth in your life. You just can't escape it. You're responding and you're reacting to some truth. And this is what we see in this story is we see a bunch of soldiers and we see two women that are reacting. They're responding to the truth of a situation. They can't escape it. It's right there. It's in front of their eyes. God has placed us within the sphere and the realm of his truth. And we react or we respond. Let's pick up in verse 1, chapter 28 of Matthew. It says, Now after Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, wouldn't you just love to be called like the other guy, um, went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek the Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Verse 8, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up, took hold of his feet, and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let's just stop right there for now. The first thing we see is the reaction of these guards, these soldiers who reacted in fear. You see what they did? They trembled and they froze. And that's what happens when we encounter something unexpected. We encounter something that just takes us by surprise, right? We, we either fight or, or we, we, we do a fight, flight, or freeze kind of reaction. That's just the, the human response to things that cause us fear or cause us some level of trauma. We, we fight, we flight, or we freeze. These dudes, these dudes froze. They were witnessing something they had never seen before. And what we have here is Matthew describing what kind of an effect that it had on them. I mean, here they were, right? I mean, these incredible 
incredible, you'd have to imagine these incredibly strong and imposing men, trained to be warriors, to be vigilant and unshaken, no matter what kind of opposition came their way, very similar to me, you know, and many of you. I see, yeah, thanks, Blake. Blake just did a hard shake like that back there. I see you, brother, when I'm preaching. Um, And the appearance of this angel comes in and absolutely just wrecks them. It absolutely wrecks them. They have nothing for it. They have nothing. Their fear overwhelms them. I mean, what do you make about, what do you make of this when you read something like this? Maybe it recalls something that you encountered in your life that puts you in a state of paralysis, something similar to what these guards experienced. And by the way, this was for good reason. These guards had good reason to tremble. They had good reason to become, like it says, like dead men. Because the dead person that they were guarding with their lives was now alive. What do you do with that? What do you make of that, right? At a minimum, it meant that they didn't do their job very well, right? The the whole point was that they were supposed to prevent anything from happening inside or outside that tomb that could affect the body of Jesus being inside that tomb. So, I mean, there's the fail right there is they weren't They weren't able to do that. It also meant that the strange rumors that they may have heard about this man, Jesus, were way more real than they were surreal, right? Even more than that, this encounter the soldiers have reminds us of our own powerlessness before God. I mean, power can be incredibly painful, We all have a certain kind of agency. We all possess a a particular kind of power, right? And power can be incredibly painful when it's misused towards others. And yet, what this reminds us of is that all forms of human power are, are just kind of pitiful and impotent, actually, before God. What the resurrection, what this opening scene in Matthew 28, what it reminds us of is how powerless we are when it comes to death and how being confronted with our own mortality which we are constantly day by day whether we like to believe it or not like we're young we can't even fathom that as we start to get a little bit older like I don't know some of us in the room maybe some of us on the platform right now like we start to think about things like that a little bit more our own mortality can leave us trembling like dead men sometimes. It reminds us that all of the flexing that we do in this life is no match for even one glimpse of God's power and glory. And I think, I think we can better understand this when we, when we just look at nature a little bit. I mean, you have nothing for what nature has to deliver you. You got nothing for it, right? You have nothing for that fiery sunset if, you know, the clouds ever break in Ohio, right? You'll have nothing for that fiery sunset. You'll have nothing for that just beautiful, tranquil sunrise. You don't got anything for those snow-capped mountains that reach up into the clouds. You have nothing for those vast oceans 
of unending blue that, by the way, will gobble you up if you go out too far. You got nothing for that. You are powerless to stop the snow that's coming tomorrow. Because snow is what happens during springtime in Ohio. You're just no match for it. You're no match for the magnitude of nature. It just puts you in your place because it can't be controlled. Your only reaction to nature and to creation is to stand back and respect it. It's to stand back and and hope that it doesn't consume you so you you don't get too close to it. It's really your only, only reaction, right? The guards could do nothing in this situation but react in fear as they encountered the empty tomb because, well, because they had no fear of God. And we would do well to look at our own lives and see that in one moment, our confidence can just be undone. Our strength can dry up. Our intellect can be totally confounded. To acknowledge those many moments where our muscles aren't going to help us, right? Our brain power is not gonna help us. Our bank accounts are not going to help us. Our, our status, our elite status, right? Our job titles, our accomplishments, they're not gonna help us. When we encounter Jesus and we expect those things to take care of us, the story of the guards reminds us that we will be left trembling like dead men. We are so easily undone. We are so fragile. We are like paper. We are like grass, like the Bible tells us. In the book of Job, there's a story of a man whose life came undone in like a fraction of a second. He lost everything, everything but his life. And at some point, Job confronts God, or I would say God confronts Job. And this is what God says to Job by way of reminder. He goes, where were you, this is God talking to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? I mean, is that the rhetorical question of the decade, right? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Now, if God says that to me, I'm like, I got, I got nothing to say. I'm good, just keep talking. I don't have anything to say back to you on that one. Then it gets to the end of this exchange that Job has with God, and this is what Job says. In Job 40, he says, Behold, I am of small account. This is Job's response to God. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. That's what Job had, a guy that had just this unbelievable wealth and power and influence. In a minute, it was taken away. And when God confronts him, Job says, I got nothing. I don't have anything to say to you because everything I have was given to me by you. I have nothing. I have nothing to respond. And by the way, this is not the bad news that it sounds like it is. Men and women who see how easily they are undone have eyes to see their humble estate. They're living, listen to this, in reality of who they are rather than in a reactive state of denial or undoing. This was the response 
of the two Marys that we see after the guards, who didn't react in fear, but they responded in faith. And not just faith. They didn't just respond in the way that we think of faith with like this big vigilant fist in the air faith. It was a weak, fragile, almost too afraid to hope kind of faith. That's the kind of faith it was that they brought to the table. And what a stark contrast it was to what the guards had to offer in that situation. A weak, a fragile, almost too afraid to hope kind of faith, exactly like the faith that I have. Exactly like the faith many of us came into the warehouse on Easter morning with, right? How come nobody said right when I said that? The two Marys have such a different encounter. They walk into the same scene that the guards, that's surrounding the guards, but they have a completely different encounter. The angel treats them so differently. Do you notice what he says to them? He says, don't be afraid for I know. That's what he says. What a comforting phrase to hear when you walk into the kind of scene that they just walked into. A scene of unknownness. A scene that causes your heart to beat really quickly. A a, a scene that causes you to feel disoriented because you don't know what's going on. And yet the angel says, don't be afraid for I know. I know you're afraid, but I know you, Mary and Mary. I know what it's been like for you the last two days since Jesus died. He said, I know the sorrow. I know the doubt. I know the fear. I know the disorientation. I know the disorder that has come with the death of a man that you believed was the Messiah. What a comfort to be known like this in the midst of this level of distress. To be cared for when your heart has been drowning in the sorrow and the grief and the chaos of death. What a different encounter they have. Because that's death. Death puts everything out of order. Why is that? Why does death have that effect on us? We know it's coming, and yet when it comes, it creates chaos. Why is that? Well, because death is unnatural. Because it's not the way life was supposed to be. It's not what God intended. The death rate may be one per person, but nobody is celebrating that statistic here this morning, right? We were not created to die, but to live. Death puts everything out of order. I remember the week of my dad's death about 13 years ago. And, oh my gosh, there were so many things to do. I felt like I was throwing a party that nobody in the world really wanted to come to. You guys can laugh at that, right? Because it was that ridiculous. What's strange is the only thing you don't have time to do is the one thing you need to do, which is grief in that moment. What's astounding when you look at these passages is that instead of retreating into their grief, Mary and Mary respond to the death of Jesus by going to the tomb to extend care 
for the body of Jesus, the dead Jesus, the crucified Jesus, except that Jesus didn't exist anymore. The risen Jesus was the Jesus who was waiting for them. And it's interesting that the angel acknowledges who they are seeking by reassuring them of who they will actually find. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. You see that word, those three words there, as he said? As he said. The two Marys could respond in faith because the words of Jesus were not false. They weren't false words. The angel encourages them to, to go and see. Check it out. Go and see where he was laying. It's all past tense now, the crucifixion of Jesus. In this visual encounter with his empty tomb, well, it would create a memory for them that would carry them through all the moments when they were tempted to doubt. And there would be many of those moments like there are for you and like there are for me. These words were meant to do the same for us, too. But here's what's interesting. The angel doesn't tell them just to sit on that information. Their faith is weak. Their faith is full of doubt. No, he says. You can't just sit here. You need to get up and you need to go and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. That's the response. Not just risen, but he adds that qualifier, from the dead. And it's an important qualifier because Jesus could have risen from a nap, right? He could have risen from a recliner. Like I, I hope many of us are going to do it around like 4 or 5 o'clock today, right? But Jesus has risen from the dead. This was a miraculous rising. It wasn't a magic trick. Jesus had tried to tell them this, by the way. But they didn't have ears to hear it. They didn't have minds to understand it at the time. They didn't have hearts to believe that Jesus was the only person to ever be victorious over death. But that's what being the creator of life gets you, right? Think of all the things in your life that you can conquer. Think of the things that you can conquer in this life. All the things that cause you fear that if you try hard enough, get enough training, learn enough technique, watch enough documentaries on Netflix about, receive enough counseling, you might be able to get past. You might be able to gain some ground on. You might be able to conquer. But death, well, we got nothing for that. Death is unconquerable. And that's whether you fear it or not. Because whether you fear it or not, you have no power in and of yourself to gain victory over it, which is why the resurrection of Jesus is so encouraging and so earthy and so real. And that's what I love about this story is how earthy and how real it was. These guards that are trembling and they're falling down like dead men and these women that are rushing to a tomb and they're in complete chaos and disorientation with all their weak and fearful and trembling faith. They got nothing for any of this. It's just like us. It's just like how we would be. 
It's not like the dramatic end of some movie that feels inspirational, but it's just ultimately out of touch and unbelievable. It's called the Marvel Universe, right? None of you are going to get suits like Tony Stark to get out of the messes that you get yourself into, right? None of you are going to become part of an elite group of superheroes called the Avengers and save mankind. That's not an earthy story. That's not a story that you can grab hold of and go, I can get up tomorrow morning now because the Avengers. <laughs> You're the mankind that needs saving. You're just like these two women who needed an earthy, a real, and on the ground, a messy, full of fear, filled with doubt, encounter with Jesus because you possess no power over heaven and earth to rise from the dead. This is so not complicated in some ways because only someone with the power to create life can have power over the thing that destroys life. And then we react in trembling fear or we respond in trembling faith. A fearful faith that is filled with an awe and a wonder that makes us want to get close to Jesus, which is what we see happening here with the two Marys. A trembling faith that drew them near to the one person that could bring them some peace and bring them some calm for their trembling faith. You notice notice that they didn't have to get it all together. The angel didn't say, you know what I want you to do is sit down. I wrote up some materials. I want to make sure we're all square on everything that's going on right now. I want to bring you back. We're going to spend a couple days going over Old Testament prophecies. I want to make sure that, man, our faith is a little firm because when we meet Jesus, we want want to make sure that we're all buttoned up and everything is all acceptable and ready to go so that he receives you. That's not what he says. He says, go, man. He says, go find him. You're going to find him just like he said you were going to find him. Go there with all your junk, with all the fear, all the faith, all the trembling, all the chaos, all the, I don't know what's going on right now, but I'm going to do it kind of stuff. Mary and Mary don't become like dead men, paralyzed with fear. But when they find Jesus, they fall at his feet. They worship him with joyful fear and with reverence. This is what it looks like to respond with a trembling and a fearful and a joyful faith. It looks like collapse. Did you know that? That that's what your faith looks like? It's not puffing out your chest. It's collapsing before the feet of Jesus because he is alive and seeing how his life has implications for your life and for your death. That's the message of Easter. Were they coming off of two days of unbelief and grief? They were. And maybe you are this morning. Maybe you're coming off of years of unbelief and unmentionable grief in your life. But what we know when we read this is that when their eyes saw Jesus alive, their faith was made alive once again. Would it be the last time they needed their faith strengthened? It wouldn't. 
when Jesus ascended into heaven weeks later, there would be times when they thought it might have all been a dream. So the question we ask ourselves this morning is how will we respond to the resurrection of Jesus? Because there's an alternate response, but it's more of a reaction when we pick up in verse 11 and we see how the guards reacted and how it played out for them. Look at down at verse 11. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and we'll keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. We see a response of trembling faith that brought two women collapsing before the feet of Jesus in great joy. And we see a reaction in fear that ultimately led to greed and lies and storytelling in order to change the narrative and to alter the truth. Let me finish with this. The resurrection of Jesus has implications for your life today and for your death whenever whatever day that it may fall on. Because he didn't simply rise, but he rose from the dead. And because Jesus is alive, it means that hope exists beyond the hardships of this life. It also means that the heartache that comes out of your hardships, it's not meaningless, but it's filled with the most desired outcome which is that everything's gonna be okay. That's the hope of the gospel, is that someday everything's going to be okay. What you really want, what your heart most deeply longs for, is someone who can assure you that it's all not for nothing, it's all not meaningless, and someday everything's going to be okay. That's what responding with trembling faith like the two Marys provides you. And by the way, when your faith is weak, and it's going to be weak, grace will be given by God to help strengthen you in your faith. And let me just double down on that. When it feels ridiculous, when the Christian life feels insane, when it doesn't make any sense, and you got all the people with all the arguments and all the science when it feels that ridiculous because life and circumstances and people and relationships bear down on you, you have the most sympathetic Savior who had death bear down on him so that you might have life. The question before you, before me, today and tomorrow and every day is will you embrace the encounter you're having right now with the resurrected Jesus. Therefore, do not be
be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Nor of me, Paul, his prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works. Those are, those are worth nothing. But because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. Will you respond with me this morning with your horribly weak, your horribly fragile, your much trembling, your too afraid to hope, your drowning in fear, faith. So that you can experience once again the salvation and the hope of Jesus Christ. Will you embrace that encounter with me and all of our humanness, with all of our stuff, with all the relentlessness that stirs around your life today. Will you do that with me? And if you've never done that, the invitation is just come. Today's the day of salvation. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the hope and the sobriety of that hope as we consider it was death for our sins that brought Jesus to the world, but yet you raised him on the third day. And Lord, so we come before you today in our weak faith, in our human fragility, in our woundedness, in all the things that are messed up and can't get fixed in five minutes. And Lord, we pray that in this moment, Lord, that you would remind us, that you would draw us close and draw us deep into the truth and the reality that we had a Savior who loved us, who came and died for us, who wants to get close to us because he understands us and he is sympathetic to us. Lord, would you draw us to repentance, acknowledging our sin, acknowledging our inefficiency, acknowledging that we don't have the stuff, Acknowledging that we keep running away from the one who has his arms open and says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Lord, soften our hearts to receive that this morning. Give us great joy as we scatter today and we go back into our houses and our neighborhoods and our areas of influence. Give us a joy that radiates, that comes off of us, that lets people see the hope of this good news, Lord. And for those that have not embraced this news, that have not believed the gospel, would you open up their heart and would you enter in and allow them to receive you by faith, to repent of their sins, to come into this family of people with weak and trembling and fearful faith so that they can join us together in our journey of becoming more like Christ and experiencing 
what it is that you have for those who put their trust in you. So God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for everybody that has come and whose ears you are opening, whose hearts you are opening to receive these words. Bless this day. Let it be a day of great joy and celebration as we spend time with family and friends and food and everything that we have today that reminds us that you are the God who saves. You are the God who blesses. You are the God who invites us in to a feast with you. We thank you for this truth. We thank you that it has saved us and changed us and pray that it will continue to do that. We pray in Christ's name, amen.